0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone who knows water is life. Um, Later in the program, we're going to be talking with the Institute for Trade and Egg Policy about a new report from them, um, Greenpeace and Grain, and it details how synthetic um, nitrogen fertilizers are a major driver of climate change. Contributing 2.4% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So that's that's more than airplanes. So we're going to be talking with that, with IATP. Um, and, you know, just looking into this, I, for those who have been following COP26, you might be hearing a little bit about Article 6. So why does the International Fertilizer Association support Article 6? So we'll be going into that as well. Um, but first, we're going to be talking to Mike Miles. And Mike um, was facing nine months in jail and a $10,000 Fine for, um, for, uh, hi Mike. Well, uh, for tell, this, so join, thank you for joining us. Uh, why were you facing a ten thousand dollar fine and nine months in jail?
1: Uh, because I tried to walk a, a five gallon pail of sweet corn and daisies across the parking lot at the Polk County office building, uh, back in June.
0: Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> wow, that's, um, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Polk County is in Wisconsin. it's
1: Yes, Polk County is Wisconsin, and the, uh, where this all came from was uh, they're trying to bring hog, hog factories into our region, and uh, the, the first we learned about this was, I don't know, almost three years ago. Uh, people have been organizing uh, there is actually only one permit uh, that's been put forward right now. That's in a, at the Township of Trade Lake in Burnett County. And what they want to bring in there is a 26,000 hog farrowing unit, uh, out of which is going to come uh, close to 300,000 feeder pigs uh, annually. And p- part, of, part of the refuse that goes along with all of that is, uh, Nine million gallons of liquid uh, hog manure that needs to be spread uh, around on agricultural fields in the area, uh, and thirty-six thousand pounds of dead pig carcass uh, every year that has to be uh, dealt with. And most of the time, they do that with uh, composting on site.
0: And of course, this is uh, describe this area because it's, um, it's 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 uh, water sensitive.
1: Uh, it's ext- it's extremely water sensitive. So so the, the the site where they actually want to put this 26,000 uh, hog farrowing operation is in the headwaters of the of the Trade River. Uh, and uh, when they put their permit in, uh, the the DNR takes a look at all the circumstances in and directly where the facility is going to go. And, uh, that, their current permit has been rejected by the Wisconsin DNR because the, the surface water, uh, in that area is like only 18 inches deep. Or the groundwater. The groundwater is only like 18 inches below the surface where they want to build this thing. So the permit has currently been rejected by the Wisconsin DNR. But they, but the company does have an opportunity to represent. And so uh, we are all, in the meantime, working frantically on many different fronts to, uh, the, to in the end, the thing that's, that, that's going to prevent them from coming in is an operations ordinance, uh, and we could talk about that. But in the meantime, we are uh, doing like public uh, awareness uh, acts like the one I did, uh, people working on the ordinance. Uh, this, the St. Croix Tribal Council uh, voted last month to uh, un- unanimously oppose this uh, farrowing unit coming into Trade Lake. Uh, and, yeah, so there's a lot of opposition here.
0: There's a lot of opposition, and it's actually, um, in, in many ways, it's a it's a really feel-good story because you guys have had to do a lot of activism, but you've... You're protecting that area from factory farming.
1: Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, it. that's a, a very sensitive line that you have to walk along uh, when you're dealing with uh, uh, large operations versus, you know, medium to small operations. There are some bigger farms who, like, it's all about the, uh, the number of animal units, how many animals – there's different sizes of animals, so a CAFO full of dairy cows is going to be different in terms of numbers than a CAFO full of pigs, than a CAFO full of turkeys or chickens. Uh, it's So uh, when people are getting big, there's, there's some people who can do a, a pretty good job with it, and uh, our county board here has been uh, inviting... Uh, uh, CAFO operators, dairy CAFO operators, to come and, and make presentations to the board about how, how, how good they are at what they do, and they're good at what they do. Uh, but that is an con- entirely different animal than when, uh, in this case, Smithfield is behind the whole thing, uh, comes in from out of state with, uh, with, a, with a corporation in Iowa that is, is, has no interest in the people who live here, has no interest in uh, what they do after they mine our resources away from us and export all of the wealth that's created uh, along with that. Uh, uh, it's an entirely different animal.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, because um, the Chinese government per- purchased Smith Fulfilled, and so they're looking for spots to raise hogs to raise pork for China.
1: Well, it's uh, it, 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 since we get accused of, of like not being accurate, I'm gonna I'm gonna just, uh, shift that just a little bit. The Chinese government itself uh, did not buy Smithfield. A company did buy Smithfield, but the company uh, that owns Smithfield can't do anything uh, like in any direction of what they want to op- how they want to operate unless they uh, clear it first with the Chinese government. So. That's a technicality that they like to throw back in our face. Yes, you know China. China owns Smithfield. It's no Smithfield. uh, China tells Smithfield what to do, but China is owned by uh, an independent Chinese corporation called the WH Group.
0: But this type of extractive agriculture um, is heartbreaking. I mean, we're going to be talking about um, later on the um, the relationship um, in uh, in global carbon emissions from this type of factory farming but it's 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 just it's its a company comes in and extracts a resource and takes it away without having any roots in the community.
1: correct. and uh, and and yeah, and, and that's a and that's a problem. And uh, you know uh, probably the worst example of KFOs operating in the state of Wisconsin right now are on the eastern side of the state in uh, Kewanee County where there's uh, a dairy operation there that is, that is milking 9,000 cows, and they want to expand, and uh, they've, they've pretty much like ruined the water supply of, of people in Kewanee County uh, who are desperately trying to get rid of them. Uh, but once they're on the ground, it's almost impossible to get them out.
0: Right, right. and so, okay, so you got charged with a crime. so um tell us some more about that.
1: okay, so so when I read in the paper back in June that there were that that part of the operations, part of the annual operations of this uh, facility that they're proposing for Trade Lake is disposing of thirty six thousand pounds of dead pig carcass uh, i'm a I'm a small farmer who does uh, regenerative practices. i I raise pastured pigs, chickens, and, and, and steers. Uh, so I have pigs here. And for the first time in since 2000, uh, I've never lost a pig. I've been raising pigs since 2008. Uh, I had a pig die and, uh, you know, dispose of it, uh, back, uh, in my woods right next to my garden and was working in the garden and smelt the pig when I was working back there with this, uh, image of the 36,000 dead pigs coming from the Farrowing Unit, and I said to myself, the county board needs to smell what this smells like. So I, uh, I, took the, I dug the pig up, put it in a bucket, and uh, notified the county board uh, of what I was going to do uh, and that they needed to smell this smell that, that they were going to be imposing on people who live in the county. Uh, they, they got back to me. They had a, an emergency meeting, said that if I did that, I'd be breaking all kinds of laws about, about, uh, t- uh transporting diseased animals and this and that. And I wrote them back and said, uh, it's not a diseased animal, it's a deceased animal, so I'll see you on Tuesday. And when I went to their, the county board meeting, they had, they had three, uh, deputies there, uh, who were to intercept me. Uh, I had some people there watching. And uh, after a brief conversation with uh, Sergeant Bryant, I excused myself and said, you know, I've got no beef with you. I, I just need to go and meet with the county board and try, and went to step around him. And that's when he took me into custody. And I was charged with a county charge of disorderly conduct, which is just a forfeiture. And it's, so it's like a traffic ticket. Uh, there's no jail attached to it just fine. Uh, But they, along the way, because I wanted to have a jury trial, I wanted to present my situation to the conscience of the community and uh, requested a jury trial. And actually with a forfeiture, uh, you have to buy your jury. It costs $36 to get a jury if you're not criminally charged. And once I started that process, the, the district attorney's office started getting a little more uh, hard-nosed uh, so, and they told me they were going to up the fine to $250 instead of $50 uh, I said no nah, I'm still going to stick with the jury so and Mike Miles then, we're going to
0: take a break and yep. so we're going to come back we're going to hear the rest of the story uh, uh, facing nine months in jail for um, trying to stop a kfo operation in uh, Polk County Wisconsin so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio and we're going to take a break we'll be right back Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap water is not, knows that cheap food is not cheap, and someone who knows water is life. Um, and uh, later in the program, we'll be talking with the Institute of Trade in and Egg uh, Egg policy about um, a new report out about how fertilizers contribute to climate change. But right now we're talking to Mike Miles, um, and Mike is with a group and be, uh, that is trying to protect their area from factory f- hog farming. And before we went on break, Mike, you were telling the story about um, how you were arrested. So tell us again. Um, you were arrested for showing up to a, uh, a council meeting or right. a county so, commission yep. meeting.
1: So so I was out in the parking lot with uh people uh, observing it uh and I had a 5 gallon pail that had someone brought daisies and we put it on top of the pail what the officers didn't know is that uh there was no there, there was no pig in the pail it was it was just full of sweet corn that I had put in there in case the I knew the officers were going to like pick it up it needed to have some weight and because I knew that I was not going to get anywhere near the meeting Uh, concluded that, you know, there's really no reason to bring the pig along. Anyway, so they arrested me uh, after talking very, very civilly and very orderly uh, for carrying this bucket, Uh, and uh, the the initial charge was disorderly conduct, uh, which is just a forfeiture. Uh, As I went through the court process and, and, and insisted on having a jury trial, they got more and more upset with me. And, and just this past Monday, I received a letter in the mail from the district attorney's office uh, that they were going to recharge me, not with a county uh, forfeiture, but with uh, two Wisconsin state criminal charges, one a criminal disorderly conduct, the other uh, criminal uh, obstructing an officer. And so instead of, instead of the $50 fine that they initially asked for, uh, I, I was looking at ten, a 10000 dollars fine and or nine months in prison.
0: And let's just repeat: all you had is a bucket of corn and daisies, and then you and they knew that you had a bucket of corn and daisies, right? Well,
1: they didn't know that they, they didn't they didn't know that the pig wasn't in there. Okay, they didn't know that the pig wasn't in there, and and I was I was uh, I did not lie to them, but I but I I didn't act I didn't tell them uh, in so many words. No, I don't have a pig in here. <laughs> so they didn't know.
0: They didn't know.
1: So anyway, uh, I, I uh, 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 so now my, my charges have been changed, and uh, I immediately got, went online, put stuff, put put information on on face all over Facebook to the groups that are opposing uh, the the KFOS here and local political groups, and uh, I sent it the sent story in to our local weekly newspaper who ran it and uh... it just it was printed yesterday they tried to get in touch with the district attorney's office that didn't get back to them in time for the printing deadline yesterday so uh... This, the story is, is still kind of in limbo as to uh... whether or not what my charges are but i heard yesterday from the editor of the paper that yesterday he got a call from the district attorney in polk county that they're dropping all the charges
0: You know. Thank, thankfully, we still have community press, yeah. um, and and the importance of the press because uh, otherwise, I mean, you actually could be chase, uh, facing nine months in jail and a yeah. ten thousand dollar fine for carrying a bucket of corn and daisies. I mean, it was it was crazy, but also, um, even though it's it, it, it's so crazy, you actually could have been facing consequences for simply saying I don't want factory farming in my backyard.
1: And <laughs> you know what can you, what 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 can you say? They weren't expecting that. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it was a splash. When I did it back in June, it was all it was all over the local papers, and everybody was talking about it. And I did it because last February the county board at a, at a meeting voted uh, nine to f- nine to four uh, to not spend any more county resources on doing anything about. CAFOs coming here. They didn't want to study anything. They didn't want to uh, pay for any kind of protection, legal or otherwise. Uh, so uh, back last February, they, they, they voted 9-4 to 4 to walk away from it altogether. And the, the, the community kind of went to sleep. And I felt that something had to happen to Uh, put it back on our front burner, and so I came up with the pig caper.
0: Okay, the pig caper. So let's talk a little bit more about um, your farm and why you're opposed to factory farming.
1: Uh, Well, uh, we're at uh, Anathoth Community Farm, which is a a Catholic worker farm, if people are familiar with Dorothy Day and Peter Morin, the Catholic worker movement. Uh, We started the farm, Barb Cass and I, uh, back in 1986, and when we started the farm, we were mostly doing nonviolent direct action to, like, nuclear weapons and uh, war and environmental things, and uh, accompanying uh, uh, people to or, uh, going to uh, ir- Iraq with medicine for kids in in uh, in, in Iraq during the sanctions we were doing we, and t- the first twenty years of the farm we're doing that kind of activism uh... and then i read michael pollens uh, book omnivores dilemma ran into regenerative agriculture and so since two thousand eight uh... we've been a center for uh... regenerative agriculture uh, and uh... agriculture that uh... Ha- prevents climate change and um... so yeah what was so i kinda went from opposing war to because, like with nuclear weapons, it, it's always like just a possibility we may do this to ourselves, but climate change is happening. There's no denying it. So, uh, yeah, I'm right on that knife's edge of of being, well, trying to oppose all the right things to oppose and promote all the things that we should be promoting. I don't know. It's Trying it's, to do that.
0: It's so complicated, and I've been trying to pay attention to um, the COP26, and one of the principles I want to live by is um, assume good intentions. I mean, assume yeah. goodwill. And, and you know, so lighten up this conversation. And yet it's hard, isn't it? Because there's just so much of this extractive, toxic economic system around us, these economic structures that's yeah. bad for people, horrible for the planet, and really, really super bad for pigs.
1: And, uh, yeah, and... Um, that's the direction that agriculture is going. And the, the, the flip side of opposing this hog factory coming in is I'm involved with Farmers Union and Wisconsin Farmers Union, and we are doing everything we can do to present a, uh, an alternative narrative to what we believe the future of agriculture is, which is smaller farms actually raising food and feeding communities instead of raising commodities. Uh, it's having farms that get 100% of the profit from selling food instead of 14 cents per, per food dollars 14 cents per food dollar spent by the public uh, on on raising uh, commodities so we we're, we're, we we're in a great position here to not o- to not only uh, uh, educate about about factory farms but uh, well, actually, I'm not even going to call it a farm. They're hog factories. There's nothing has there's nothing involved in farming with these hog factories.
0: And did we not learn from the COVID crisis? Um, resilient systems no. for feeding no. people. They don't do a good job at feeding people. They just do a good job of concentrating wealth, and that doesn't they, work for anybody. <laughs> so they, you know, like yeah, when, we're going to have to take works, a break. And uh, Mike Miles, you can find out more by going to know, and, um k n o w k f o s . o r g dot org. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and Mike Miles will join us for the last segment, but right now we're talking to the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policies Program Director, Karen Hansen-Kuhn. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
2: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: Great. So tell us a little bit about your background in IATP.
2: Um, Well, I've been at IATP for about a decade. I've been working on food and farm issues, uh, first on right to food issues for an international development organization, and a long time on how trade agreements affect food security and the right to food. And then more recently, we've really shifted to what this means, how agriculture, climate, and trade come together.
0: And so IATP, um, Greenpeace, and Grain just released a report on fertilizers. So tell us about that.
2: We wanted to see. we We were suspecting that the numbers that are out there about nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizers uh, really weren't covering everything. So nitrous oxide uh, is produced from synthetic fertilizers and some other processes. It's a very potent greenhouse gas stays in the atmosphere more than a hundred years. but the calculations we had seen only looked at what happened once you put those fertilizers on the field. So we looked at the full life cycle, how much is how much is generated in production, transportation, and Putting them on the field, and it came out together. So our calculations show that about one out of every forty tons of greenhouse gases currently in the atmosphere is from these fertilizers.
0: One out of every forty tons. So it's more than airplanes.
2: That's true. Yeah, more than commercial air flights. It is a significant amount. Um, so. And s- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: So, fertilizers, it's one of the top climate-producing industrial chemicals.
2: That's right. And, of course, there's different kinds of chemicals. There are um, organic and inorganic chemicals. And what we're thinking about, what we're looking at is specifically synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. And, I mean, it's interesting. These Those fertilizers essentially start out as a mixture of energy and air. Um, they bring... Uh, methane, natural gas, air, and a whole lot of electricity together to put the nitrogen in the form that then can be made into fertilizers. It's a very energy intensive process, and then along the way generates a lot of emissions.
0: Okay, so briefly, what's the history of use? Because I mean, like it's increased a whopping 800% since the 1960s. So, this is, this is using fertilizers is, is, a, is a new way for humans to be growing food, or these synthetic fertilizers.
2: Well, certainly synthetic fertilizer, and that, that's something to keep in mind because I think we need to come back to some of the organic fertilizers that have been here, been around all along. But yes, in the '60s, we had what was called the Green Revolution. Certain crops were developed, things like corn, wheat, rice, specific varieties that could de- that would depend on these chemical fertilizers and had, at the time, drastic increases in yield. So, for a time this was considered kind of a miracle that there was so much more food. And then, you know, as I'm sure most people are aware that it, it's having enough food isn't the same as everybody getting the food they need. So, of course, there were a lot of differences about distribution, whether it was really enough to produce enough food when people didn't have the incomes, um, And also, over time, those tremendous yields we saw initially started to diminish. Farmers had to put more and more of these chemical fertilizers on their fields. There was a lot of runoff. 20 or 30% of the fertilizer put on the field doesn't end up in the crops at all. It runs off into the into the waterways, into the soil. Um, so a lot of waste.
0: Right. So these fertilizers are responsible for the um, uh, dead zones in the ocean and the algae blooms. That's Those are right. other consequences of the fertilizer. And so you already addressed revolution uh, feed the world. I mean, people are talking about saving millions and millions of lives.
2: Well, I think it did initially, but I think you know what seemed like a simple solution at first uh, turned out to be a whole lot more complicated. We've been looking at the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, Bill Gates' project to use those green revolution techniques to re- improve food security in Africa. Uh, my colleague. Uh, Kim Wise has been tracking that, and we found they promised to double yields and reduce poverty, and he looked at 13 countries over the last 20 years, and yields have been flat. Poverty has actually increased in those countries. Um, So these solutions, while they held promise initially, um, they don't really fit anymore. And, of course, they're associated with a particular kind of industrial agriculture, I think one thing to keep in mind when we talk about all of this grain production is it is tightly linked to uh, to meat production as well. A lot of the corn and soy that's produced in the world never goes onto our plates, not directly. It goes into to ethanol, to meat production, to other things. And meat production into factory farms and away from branches and manure fertilizing the soil also disrupts that fertilizer cycle. Um, So what seems like a simple thing, you increase yields, there's more food, is actually more complex and reflects corporate power in our food system.
0: Let's talk about that corporate power because that's the other um, thing is ownership and monopoly control in these systems are, I don't know how to say it other than it's all um, owned by a handful of people.
2: That's true. And it's, you know, and it's certainly the case that corporate concentration in agriculture has gotten worse, especially in the U.S. over the last 10 or 20 years. I think on the other hand, we have this sort of counter movement for agroecology, uh, that is more respectful of nature, that learns from nature, and it's tightly connected to social movements. Uh, when you look at where most of the food people eat is grown within about 200 miles of where they live all around the world. We have this counter-movement of people, you know, learning from the environment, finding new ways to produce food that actually also reduce poverty, improve nutritional outcomes. For example, our partners at ANEC, a farmers group in Mexico, uh, have a project of what they call biofactories, and it's essentially a kind of composting uh, where they come together and produce their own fertilizers, so I think there is this this new movement that's emerging that is really a much better solution.
0: Um, yeah, and it's it's so much more um, hopeful too. Um, so, but um, but how do we? So let's try to get a grasp of understanding the consequences of the industrial approach to agriculture on our planet. How is our climate crisis? attached to the way um, we're producing food right now?
2: Well, you know, depending on how you count it, greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture are between 18 and 30% of total emissions. And, you know, I guess it's it's similar to energy. It's not that we're going to stop eating, but we need to learn to do things differently. Um, So emissions are from land use change, a lot of them especially when land is deforested, to, you know, to grow more soybean, for example.
0: Right. So they're um, knocking down the rainforest for Brazil to grow soybeans is really bad for the planet.
2: It is. And if you think about it, even in the U.S., most of the incentives are for farmers to produce as much as possible, no matter how low the price is. Um, and so they get on this sort of treadmill, even though they're not making the... Con- they need to especially smaller scale farms they are producing more and more corn or they're locked into production of factory farms so again you know so this is this is a problem both for those communities and for the planet and, right- and again we see people starting to step off. People saying we need to do things differently.
0: Uh, yeah, and that I'm going to make sure we get into those different approaches. But the other thing that's happening um, right here is that there's rising prices for these chemical fertilizers. So a lot of farmers around the world are um, facing um, strong headwinds, um, really high input cost.
2: That's, that's right. And, and de- being dependent on these inputs that come from corporations make farmers really vulnerable um, to different kinds of volatility. People may remember in about 2009, there was what we call the food price crisis, when prices shot up in part because of disruptions to those supplies and a lot of speculation. Farmers who are locked into that kind of system where they depend on these corporate inputs are vulnerable to that kind of volatility. And, you know, coming back to the example in Mexico, uh, what they found was that often the farmers weren't entirely convinced that growing things naturally would be better, but they were convinced about lower prices for those inputs and inputs that were more under their control. And so that was their starting point.
0: That agency. Um, And so um, talk a little bit about um, agroecology and the um, um, different ways of producing food. Um, Can we feed the planet in a way that's sustainable um, for the planet?
2: Definitely. I mean, it takes a shift in attitude and shift in programs. You know, we're looking now, for example, this program, Agra, I told you about, um, funded by the Gates Foundation largely, but also by USAID. Um, there is a lot of pressure from African groups to say, please stop funding this kind of thing. Please make it possible for us to do things different, differently, for us to experiment with uh, a diversity of seeds. Again, returning to Mexico, there is uh, the government there responding to social movements is banning uh, imports of GMO corn, as well as glyphosate, getting off the treadmill again of this industrial production. And alongside that, there is a flourishing of many different heritage varieties of corn that consumers really want. So it's So it's not just a simple process, it is an iterative process between among consumers and farmers, farmers and scientists, uh, finding new ways to produce together. And
0: so in this report produced by IATP, Greenpeace, and Grain, um, it concludes by saying the fertilizer industry and its business and government allies are peddling a false notion that emissions can be sufficiently reduced through a more precise application of fertilizers without any major changes to the industrial model of agriculture and structure of the food system. And this is simply not true. So that's how that report concludes. Um, If people want to read this report, where can they go?
2: Uh, it is available on our website at iatp.org
0: okay and karen um is there anything else you'd like to say
2: um no i look forward to listening to more of these, uh, these sessions
0: yeah and so are you hopeful i mean the the cop 26 i mean again i want to assume goodwill and there are people that are working really hard and yet it is so heart-wrenching to think of um what we're all facing as as a as a people and as a planet and I, I, I don't feel the, um, the, the hope that I would like to feel. How are you feeling?
2: Well, I, I had similar feelings, and you're right. It is, it is a dire moment right now. Um, I think there will be some progress there. I, you know, I'm encouraged by some developments, but like so many things, what it comes down to is what happens after the big meetings. What laws change in different countries? How people can come together to push things in a different direction? Um, I think in addition to whatever is decided at the cost, there will be this follow-up. There will be new initiatives in different countries, and that's what gives me hope.
0: Yeah, let's have some hope. So Karen Hansen kuhn with IATP, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Farmer Mike Miles. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and let it be, in the age of climate crisis, in the age of domination, how do we how do we find hope? And uh, Mike Miles is back. Um, we talked to him in the first segment, but um, that's what we want to talk about right now is where do we find our hope? So um, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Mike.
1: It's good to be here. Uh, okay, hope. I'm going to open up with one of my favorite quotes. It's on the wall right next to me, and um, I'm just going to go with it, is, it's a. It's from the poet the poet Mae Sarton. You may be familiar with it. Uh, we change people if we do it all by being something irresistible, not by demanding something impossible. Okay.
0: Love that. I love and, that.
1: You know, uh, hope is not wishful thinking for happy tomorrows. Uh, hope is rolling is assessing what needs to be done rolling up your sleeves, and doing hopeful things. We can't have hope unless we actually do hopeful things.
0: Well, and that is that is so vital. And, and so a uh, reminder, because sometimes people join late in the program. So um, in Polk County, Wisconsin, you guys have been doing a lot of hopeful things fighting the KFO operations. Um, and people can find out uh, your website is no KFOs. That's um, uh, KNOW KFOs. Yep. So uh, briefly share with us again about what was going on with that.
1: Well, well, so so yeah, they're, 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 uh, Smithfield is behind it, trying to move trying what they're trying to do is is to take pigs in the United States and get them out of Iowa because there's too much disease. And uh, the, the big one the big one that's out there lingering is African swine flea, Afri- African swine fever. It is now 70 miles from the U.S. coast. I'm not talking about hopeful things right now. Uh, but uh, it's ready to come in, and and la- uh, yeah, two years ago, uh, African swine fever killed, like, half of China's pigs. So... Uh, What's going on in the United States right now is all of the all of the big pig producers have, have realized they've destroyed Iowa and they're trying to move their operations out of Iowa to get away from where there's so much disease, they can't control it. That's why they're looking north. That's why they're looking to areas where there's lots of water because they need lots of water to run their operations.
0: And, so, yeah, and water is life.
1: Oh. And water is life, which is why we are opposing them here, uh, and are doing like everything we can. And and uh, so my, the thing that I did uh, back in June that sparked a lot of of uh, involvement in people who had been sort of lulled to, lulled to sleep again by it by the the hog thing not being in the news anymore, not being in you know it, it just kind of went to sleep is is yeah I I decided that I was gonna like carry a dead pig that I have from my farm to the county board to make them smell what a dead pill pig
0: right, is. right that's what you were talking about I'm gonna send a dead I'm gonna bring something so you can smell what a dead pig because how many yep. dead pigs would they're gonna bury uh, if this it, KFO? from it, it was
1: gonna be it was gonna be thirty six thousand pounds of dead pig carcass every year. Uh, in the operation of a twenty-six thousand hog farrowing operation.
0: Do you want that as a neighbor? Does anybody want that as a neighbor?
1: Right, and so you can produce so, poke for China. Yeah. So it's it's all about tapping into imagination, and and um, that's what I did with the with the pig caper. And we're still going to see where that all goes. Uh, so, it's just, it just gets and, and, more and it, more interesting.
0: And again, if people, so you didn't actually bring a pig. You just brought um, a corn with some daisies on top, and yet you got yeah. charged, and the charges kept increasing until uh, you were facing a $10,000 fine and nine months in prison for carrying a bucket of corn with some daisies and pretending yeah. it was a pig.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. So, so that that got a lot of people uh, fired up again, and we started having uh, monthly rallies at the at the uh, Polk County office building where the where the county board was meeting. And the first one that we did uh, back in um, in July uh, after the pig caper, we, we had over two hundred people that, that came together in a in, a, in a, a like a wonderful rally, a very hopeful rally. Uh, we love to live in Polk County. And we want the county board to protect this place we love to live in. Uh, rally, and 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 we just did our our our, last, our most recent one uh, last Tuesday. And
0: it's been a good. I mean, th- these issues. Um, they were hoping to get this KFO operation in, uh, under the radar with nobody really noticing, yep. right? And that's right. And Absolutely. then by by some whatever miracle of whatever, people just found out about it kind of quietly. What? How did that story work?
1: Well, it it's they, it, they, they, uh, in, in at trade trade lake is is in a uh, trade lake township uh, at the trade the trade lake uh, township board at a meeting. Yeah, it almost three years ago now. Uh, they just slipped it in on the agenda as uh, an agricultural development, and and and, and the, the the guy Jeff Sauer. It works with uh, a, a place, uh, a company in Iowa called Sude Health and Production. Uh, Jeff Sauer tried with another Iowa company back in 2015 to move a hog operation this size into into Bayfield, count, into Bayfield County, north of us. Uh, and he got turned away. People rallied up there and, and, and fought and fought and fought, got an operations ordinance in place, and... Jeff Sauer actually had nowhere to go. So where did he, where what did he do? He, he got another Iowa company and came here to, to Burnett County uh, and and Polk County and is trying to do it again. So we have allies like uh, up in Bayfield who pushed him away the first time who are working with us uh, to, to try to keep him out the second time. We we've one of the most hopeful things we have going on right now are because our county boards aren't doing anything to protect us, uh, there are six township boards, t- six townships, that have banded together uh, financially and cooperatively to take the Bayfield Operations Ordinance and make it even better. So, so you know, that's the kind of thing that we have going on uh, that is is going to be uh, like uh, uh, a legal real protection uh when we get it in place, first, hopefully, it's going to be these six townships, and hopefully, it will expand beyond that. And hopefully, we're going to replace these, the, the personnel on these two county boards so we can have the counties adopt. A good ordinance instead of just the township so again
0: Mike I thank you so much for joining us um, people can get more information by going to know Kfos um, and it's wonderful to see the activism but how do we change the entire system because you're right the the uh, there's a tremendous demand for pork in, in in China it's horrible for pigs it's horrible for pigs it's horrible for climate change it's horrible for people it's horrible for water Life is vibrant. Um, and so one of the little things we can do, or not little, the big thing we can do is know our food. So if you're looking for a great place to get a turkey for Thanksgiving, check out Turkey Fest at Ferndale Market. So uh, Ferndale Market Turkey Fest, Saturday the 20th to the 24th. Um, thank you so much for listening to Food Freedom Radio, um, and have an awesome weekend.